If you have your Bible, please turn to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. If you need a Bible, there should be one in the pew ahead of you um, as well. We want to make sure that everybody has one to keep. So if you don't have a Bible, come and see me. We'll get you a Bible to keep for your own. We're going through the book of Revelation. The book starts out saying this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. We should get to know Jesus better by reading this book. And he's having letters sent to seven churches that were in the first century that are now in current day Turkey. We've been going through these churches as these letters are being written to them. And today he writes a letter to a church named Sardis. Sardis. And so I will begin reading that letter. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And so we want to stop right there and address that. What in the world is he talking about? What, what were these seven spirits and what are the seven stars? I refer your attention to the end of chapter 1 when Jesus is talking about who he is. He says, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And so we find out that those seven stars, he had angels that were in, uh, somehow... Uh, associated and in charge and in bringing messages to these seven churches. He's in control, those angels. Some have thought that maybe those angels were referring to the bishops that were in charge of those places. I don't have anything to, to make sure that that's accurate, so I'm just going to say there's seven angels because that's what Jesus says right here. He has these seven angels in charge. He's the one who has the charge of the seven angels. The seven spirits are a little bit more tricky. We don't know exactly what that means. Some actually think that's a representation of the Spirit of God in a sevenfold way. Uh, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. It could be. I think there's some evidence in Scripture that says that that could be, but I'm not ready to stamp my, you know, I'm going to stake my claim on that. I'm just going to say it's possible. It's my opinion, but it's one of those places in Revelation where I'm just going to tell you, I don't know. That's my best answer is I don't specifically know. But what I do know is this, that when Jesus says, I'm the one who has the seven spirits and I'm the one who has the seven stars, the seven angels, the reason he says that is to say, because I have these things, it proves that I have the authority to speak the words and write the words that I'm about to give to you. So even though Jason Hudson doesn't understand, what I do need to understand is that he's giving his resume to say he's the one in charge. I am the God who is looking at the church that is supposed to be mine, and I'm about to tell you something about yourself. I'm about to tell you where you are in your spiritual life before me. And he's about to tell Sardis that things are critical. Things are critical. I'm going to tell you, there's two churches in these letters of the seven churches. There's two churches that are highly, highly critical against the churches. And those two churches no longer exist. The, the towns are gone. Okay, that's how bad it was. They've just been wiped out. And so here we get this letter to Sardis, and he says this, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. How would you like to get that word? I see you and I know your works. And here's what I see. You have the reputation for being alive. But what I see is that you are dead. The rest of the world might come to you and, and feel for a pulse. And they might be looking for things. And, and they might even tell you, you know, what we see here looks like somebody whose life looks like there's a congregation that's going and functioning and, and full of vitality and life and and vigor, but when I see you, what I see is death. I smell death. Amen. Because when we look at Jesus Christ, when he comes in and he looks upon his people, he looks upon a church, he's not looking at the same thing the world looks at. In fact, he's often not looking at the same things that Jason Hudson looks at. Why? Because I'm easily swayed by the same criteria that the world is trying to judge things by. Amen. 
In fact, that's how most of the music and books and literature in the Christian world are sold by. You go to any of the best-selling Christian books and you flip that book over to the back and you read about the author. What are the highlights? A wife, two kids, and has a church of so many thousand people, has written so many books, and these are the criteria why that person gets to do it and why his church is alive. You see, we, we judge things about how many people are flocking to him. How many programs do they have going into their church? Do they have a rock band playing? Is their website great? Do they have a television broadcast? How much money do they bring in? Do they have a megastar pastor? You see, we, we, we judge whether a church is alive or dead according to all those things. But what does Jesus see when he looks at that, those churches? Now, I'm not saying that if a church has thousands of people that that church is dead. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that's not what Jesus is looking at. I'm not saying that if a church takes in a lot of money that they're not alive. I'm just saying that's not what Jesus looks at. I'm not saying that if a church does contemporary music or traditional music, that one of those two things is an indication that that church is alive. What I'm saying is that Jesus, when he looks at the pulse of a church, isn't looking at the same things you and I are looking at and aren't looking at the things that the world is looking at. You know what Jesus is looking for when he looks into a church? Himself. (laughs) He wants to see if the people know and love and follow him. He wants to look at the works of the people because he looks at the people of Sardis and say, I see your works. And what he means is, when I look at your works, I don't see me. Now, they were doing a bunch of things. They were doing works. They had a bunch of things going on in Sardis, and very little of those things had anything to do with Jesus. And that gives me warning. That gives us warning. Because when we go look at the Unity Advent Christian Church calendar, guess what? We've got a lot going on. We could look at our bulletin about this next week. We've got a lot going on, even if we don't have a wana on Wednesday this week. We've got a lot going on. A lot going on doesn't mean that we are alive. Are we about Jesus? He's alive. It's not about him, it's dead. See, we can manipulate all the outside-looking things to make it look like we're alive, and we may not be alive. And the world knows this, too. That's why every so often you'll hear about these things come along. Like, remember Enron? You remember Enron? Maybe some of us are too young to remember fully what happened to Enron. Enron was this huge energy company. And they had built themselves up. I mean, their stock was super high. It was a a, a company that in the year 2000 had done $111 billion, supposedly, in business. That's what they were worth. Fortune magazine said for six years in a row that Enron was the most innovative company, the most innovative company of the year. And so you have Enron that's full of this outside adornment. They have so much money. They've got so many people that are buying stock. They've got so many people looking, hey, that is the standard. But when they went and looked into the inside, what they found out was that the people leading Enron were lying. When they kept telling everybody, hey, buy the stock because we're going up. And even though it looks better, it's going up. And on the side, they were selling their stock because they knew they were fake. See, the world was looking at things like $111 billion that weren't really there. 
The world was looking about how innovative they were. They were you know what? They weren't innovative. Lying's been happening forever. You can look at other businesses. It happened this year. It happens every year. Volkswagen, right? Here's this car company. I mean, they're engineered by Germans. My grandfather was always like, trust the German engineering. Because he was German. And then they say, well, you know what? Our cars, even when they're used, they have the highest resale value of used cars. They, they have a high standard. You can trust us. And here now we've got cars. They're super great on fuel efficiency and emissions, right? You could look on the stickers and see this car is fuel efficient until it found out that all the outward-facing signals of those things were false. When the cars were taken in to get their emission test, the car would actually switch into a different mode and lie to the computers and, and tell it that it was efficient. And then the car would back out of the emission test and go on and drive, and they weren't efficient at all. Volkswagen had lied to the public. They gave an outward visibility of, oh, oh we're good. We're good. Amen. You eating at Chipotle lately? I'm glad I haven't. Chipotle has over 19,000 stores in America. People go in there, and it's the Mexican food uh, that's like McDonald's, right? You go in there, you could order. And you know what? They might be serving you E. coli and salmonella. The outward was like, we got so many stores. We've got great fresh food. Comes packed with vitamins, minerals, and E. coli. You know? <laughs> you see, the world is caught up in the advertisement and the outward show. This is who we are. Buy into that. And know how good we are. But you know what? We as the church do the exact same thing. We could take these little cards that have been produced. We could say, hey, friend, come, come to our church because we're alive. We do musicals. Our pastor raps. <laughs> We've got Sunday school. We've got all kinds of things for you to come to. We got all, and we could announce all those things. You know, and that might not mean that we are alive. The question is, is Jesus at Unity Church? Amen. We cannot come and evaluate whether Unity Church is alive or dead based on this little sign over here. We can't say we've got this many people and this many people and we've made this much money and say, that amounts to us. And if you can't see that, let me move these things, which are a true sign of whether something's dead or alive, right? Are these alive? No. You see, we do this all over. And I don't want to put down... I don't want to put down silk flowers, and I don't want to put down what the Lord is doing in our church. If the Lord's brought people, praise God. Amen. And if the Lord has given generous givers, praise God. But that's not what is a sign of us being alive. Amen. The sign is the root of Jesus. And if those things are coming out and overflowing, then Jesus sees his works. But when he looked at Sardis, he says, I see all that you're doing. They might have had the same exact numbers and the same amount of giving. They might have had the same beautiful flower arrangements and a grand piano and a choir and a sound system. Well, they probably didn't have a sound system, but they could have had all kinds of things that maybe were very similar to this. And it doesn't matter until the Lord looks at the heart and says, I see either life or I see death. I see me or I don't see me. And it starts by looking not at just the whole church, but looking at individuals and say, 
I see me, I see me, I don't see me, I don't see me. And if I just happened to point at you, I wasn't judging right there. Because the Lord's looking at Jason's heart saying, Jason, here's what I see. And what I need him to see is himself. That means I'm alive. Jesus equals life, which is why when you go and you take one of those flyers and give it away to one of your friends, the very top it says, Jesus equals life. If there's no Jesus, there's no life. No Jesus, no life. And so Jesus looks at Sardis and says, I see your works. I see that you have the reputation. The reputation means they've earned a name. People have been talking about them. People think you're alive, but you're dead. And so he tells them in verse 2, Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. That word complete there means to fill up. It actually comes from the little word of taking your net and making sure it's full. If you go fishing, you want to get that net as full as you can. And when Jesus said, I look into your net and it's not full, you're not doing everything that I've asked you to do. I want you to do 100% of me, not just part of what I've told you to do. I don't see your works complete. He goes on in verse 3, Remember then what you received and what you heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. So Jesus says, you know, if you see what I see and you recognize that I'm not in your heart, you see death in there, change. Change. If you look in your church and you say, well, we got a lot of functions, we got a lot of money, we got a great building, but you don't see me, change. It is better to be a homeless church with Jesus than a church in grandeur and in death. All this then is is a fancied up casket. But boy, if this place is with Jesus... And to get there, it means that each of us individually says, Lord, do we see you or do you see yourself in us? And if he doesn't, if there be any amount, if there be any percentage of my heart and your heart and us as a church together, our hearts. And there's no Jesus, then we are to repent quickly, turn from that and say, Lord, sorry for faking it. Would you help me to have you in this area of my life? Would you be full in our church, every portion of it, Sunday school hour, worship hour, Tuesday at 6 o'clock hour, whatever's happening that night? Everything for us, would you be it? And if not, Lord, help us to repent of that. Jesus says, if you've heard it, keep it, repent, because there's that day coming when he's going to come like a thief. And you know what? You don't want him to catch you if you're not with him. At that moment, death becomes eternal. It says here in verse 4, Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Throughout the Scripture and even uh, uh, nowadays, a, a good picture of somebody who is operating for God is just symbolically a picture of white. It was, it was a picture of a priest, somebody who had been cleansed and set apart for the purpose of being in, in the presence of a holy God. And so... Jesus says, hey, if you're with me, you know, then you look like these people. There's a few there that haven't soiled themselves. It was actually, even in cult practices, it was bad to go into a place if you were filled with grime and filth and dirtiness. And he's not just talking about their church clothes. He's talking about their hearts. Remember when Jesus told the Pharisees, hey, you go around 
with these huge flactories. They were actually leather boxes that they would strap to their heads and their forehands, and they would roll up pieces of Scripture and put them inside. He says, you go around with huge boxes on your head that make people think that you know the Scripture so well, and you're so blessed. And you walk around with these tassels hanging down low on your, on your, on your robe, and, and, and they, were, they had been instructed to have tassels. It was a symbol. But they would sew them on to make themselves look so holy. And Jesus says, you may dress up and make it look like to others that you know me, but inside you're nothing but a a tomb full of dead bones. Don't be whitewashed. Jesus says, if you follow him, you won't just be whitewashed. You'll be pure on the inside. You'll be pure on the outside. He will will have you worthy to be with him. Verse 5 goes on and says, to the one who conquers, they will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So not only does Jesus say the one who is with me, the one who conquers, he's in my victory. Not only will I clothe him in white. But he says something that's so great. He says, I will never, ever, 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 ever blot your name out of the book of life. What is the book of life? The book of life is a book where the names of every person who has ever lived is written. And in that book, if you are not with Jesus if you have never believed in your heart that He has forgiven you from your sin and relied upon Him as Lord and Christ, if you have never cried out and said, Lord, save me, and He has not come in and done that, uh, have done that work in you, then the Scripture says, your name might be in that book, but it will be blotted out. So when the judge comes and looks at those who will be free from their sin, He will not see your name because it's been blotted out. But Jesus says, those who have conquered, those who have been washed in His blood... God will look into that book and He will actually be able to read off your name. For those who He says, the one's about to go free, I'm going to read their name from the book of life. You want your name read. And if you've conquered with Him, He will not blot out your name. Because once He blots out your name, the only thing left for you is the name of yours in the other book, the book that holds all the record of accounts of all your sin against Him. And for that, you will pay. You will pay. But thanks be to God, He paid for us on the cross. Amen. The death I deserved, He died for me. Amen. And that blood has washed me clean in order to make it so my name isn't blotted out of that book of life. And so I believe in Him by faith that I've been saved. He says, for anyone like that, your name will be, but not be blotted out forever and ever and ever and ever, ever. You will never be blotted out. You will be with Jesus forever. That is a precious thing that He gives to us. The promise. Now, I don't know about you, but I get super, super convicted by the fact that if Jesus looked at me, (laughs) I know there's areas where I pretend to be alive in Christ. And I don't even know them all yet. And that when the Lord looks at me and He sees sin, He could just flick me off the face of the earth into outer darkness and in judgment, and cast towards hell. But instead, he says this sweet word, repent. And he says, come to me. Let me 
tell you how much I love you. I died for you. I don't want you to keep living this fake life. I want you to live real life. I want you to experience my love and my joy and my presence and my fellowship. I want you to experience my healing in your life. I want you to experience white garments. I want you to experience forever. I want you to experience life forever with me. I want that for you. Please repent. What I hear in the Lord's voice is one of, here's what I see in you, and if you don't hurry, you're going to die. Please repent. Here's love. He can look at me and say, Jason, you're full of sin, and just stop there. He'll say if he loves you, hey, you're full of sin, and I'm calling you to repent. The church, with the reputation for being alive, will tell you something else. If you're not feeling alive, fix yourself. Fix yourself. The number one quote-unquote Christian book in America right now is written by a false prophet named Joel Olstein who has one of the largest churches in America. Amen. They meet in an arena, just like what basketball teams Amen. play in. He's written a book called The Power of I Am. And he goes on to speak, and I, I hate even saying this because I don't want anybody to be even tempted to go read it because it's false. The Power of I Am says, if you go around and say, I'm old, then you're old. You go around saying, I'm unhealthy, I'm fat, I've got gray hair. You speak into your life all this negative and you'll just go negative. But if you go around and say, I'm young, I'm beautiful, I'm precious, and you speak I am into your life, then all this positive will flow. You invite God's goodness and his, he'll start bringing you wealth and power and and apparently wrinkle cream or something, he's going to somehow allow yourself to speak yourself into a better place, all because you said, I am. And I'll tell you why this is dangerous. is because when Jesus stood before the Jews, and when God spoke to Moses, and he told them his name, he was the one who said, I am. You see, I am is the name for God. It is not the name for Jason. And in fact, when I just go on and use it a verb and try to convince myself or to convince my God, I am beautiful. No, that's witchcraft. That's in fact new age, just doused with a couple Jesus words in it. That's not the truth. If I say something like, I am saved, that is true. But it's not because Jason Hudson did it. It's because the I am, Jesus Christ, did it on the cross for me. Amen. Go read the first chapter. I, I'm, I can't believe I'm actually telling you to do this. You can go on Amazon.com and read the first chapter. He takes every piece of scripture out of context. It says that all those people like Sarah and Joshua and all those people said, I am this and so I will go tear down that wall. I am this, so I will be a mother even though I've been barren. I am, and the power goes on their positive thinking. That is falsehood. The fact that those people had faith had nothing to do with saying, I am capable, but everything to do with saying, God is capable. God is capable. God is capable. And yet people flock to the false teachings like this and say, let me buy his book. New York Times bestseller. People flock to the churches and say, it's amazing. He just tells me what I want to hear. 
Yeah, be careful. Jesus said that would happen in the last days. There's going to become teachers and false prophets who will say everything that you want to hear. Be careful. You know what's a good work is when Jesus comes and tells you, you know what, here's what I see. I see myself. And it's also a good work when he comes and says, you know what, I don't see me in your life, but repent. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to restore you. Let me be the one. I'm the I am. I am the Savior. I am the Lord. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I'm the life giver. I'm love. I am joy. I am peace. I am thank. I, I am, he says. And that's the good word. Don't be fooled by people who think they have life. They have a reputation and they have crowds. And they're full of death. That's what Jesus says. Be careful. Because these ones will come and in a moment they will devour people who call themselves the church. This last week, we got a new puppy at our house. It's a beautiful little cockapoo. Part cockle spaniel, part poodle. You don't know what that is. And here, she's only seven weeks old, and, and we're trying to teach her all the, the ways of life, you know, what you got to do in the house and what you got to do, do out the house. And uh, so we had taken her outside into the yard, and uh, we got some woods next to our yard, and she likes to, you know, kind of run around where we have some grass. And so it was nighttime, and, and, and she was out uh, going potty out in the grass uh, under the floodlight. And so we scooped her up. Her name's Honey. We scooped Honey up, and we brought her inside. We were putting her in her, her, her little crate for nighttime, and, and we shut her up nice and quiet and safe in her fluffy little cozy, cozy bed. And, and, uh, and after we shut her in, we looked out the window just before we shut off the floodlight. And here out of the woods comes creeping this big gray fox. Sniffing all over where little honey had been. The fox had the scent. The fox had the scent of someone, uh, 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 an animal that was vulnerable. An animal that was delicious. An animal that it wanted to eat. And the devil and false prophets and the world and even sometimes our own passions are as vicious as the gray fox coming for honey. And the Lord says, beware. Beware of the wolves that come from within and dressed like sheep. They're not real. They want to eat you. They want to devour you. They want to give death. Jesus takes us and he brings us in. And he's still teaching us what's right and what's wrong, where to go and where not to go. But he cares for us. Amen. And he disciplines us. Amen. And that's out of his love. Amen. And he might say, you need to repent. That's out of his love. Amen. All the others, all the others want to devour you, want to satisfy themselves. If I ever get to a place like that, if I ever get to a place of not preaching Jesus, not preaching His forgiveness, His life, His care, His hope, His goodness, that He is the I Am, you boot me as fast as you can from this church. Run me out of town. You can keep my family. They're good. Run me out. Be a church that's alive. Be a church that's in Christ. 
be a person who says, you know what, I can't convince myself and just talk myself into better looks, more money, but I can trust Jesus for everything. Amen. He may give you better looks. Amen. You may be like me. You just try to keep up with the haircuts and make do. Okay. You know what? He loves you so much. He loves you so much to let you wander away towards death or to get eaten. He wants to care for you today. And He wants to discipline you today because He loves you. And He wants to lead you in a path of life and grow you up into maturity so that you can be light and life to those around you sharing Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, we thank You because we believe You have been at work at this church. We can see the signs of Your love and Your power all around us and in us and among us. Lord, we pray that we would never go and seek a reputation for our church that is one apart from Jesus. We pray that we never glory in numbers, that we never seek fame because of our money, we never seek security because we don't have debts. And We're thankful for for what you've done and, and the ways in which you've blessed. But Lord, we pray that this church would be about you. And so Lord, as we seek help for our own lives, first for our hearts, which are in need of your forgiveness, and then for the rest of our comings and goings, which are in need of your direction and help, Lord, we pray that all those things would be about Jesus. And that the mark of our church and the mark of our lives would be Jesus and that when you look at us, when you judge us, when you scan our soul and our minds and our mouths and everything, that you would see yourself. Fill us, Lord, with your life and your life abundant. And radiate that to a people in this world who are, are dying to hear something that's good, something that's really good, not just going to poison them. Not just going to pretend. Not just going to inflate numbers and then prove to be false. Help us, Lord, to be true. We thank you for dying on that cross for us and that when you come to us, you give us the true word that you forgive us. And so we're thankful for your forgiveness, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.